All right, well, good morning. I know I've already been up here a few times, so it's, I don't know. It's me again. Um, We're continuing on in our sermon series called Being the Church for Battle Creek. Um, We're a little bit past the halfway point. We have a few more weeks as we move through um, the book of Acts, Uh, not only looking at what it meant to be the church 2,000 years ago, but kind of what it means to be the church today. And um, I know, having talked to many over this past week, that one of the biggest complaints in life lately is that things are just too easy, right? Things are just going too smoothly, no big problems, no major bumps in the road, right? Life's just cruising right along too easy, right? No, that's not true at all, right? Life is hard, right? (laughs) One of the things that makes life difficult in this particular moment there's a tension, there's a conflict in our lives, and, and I, I hope it's not one of these things where you weren't aware of this, and now I'm going to mention it, so now it's everywhere, you know, like you notice it everywhere, like I've ruined things, um, I do that, but, um, but there's this tension, this conflict that kind of undergirds a lot of our relationships, that's present in our, just the way we go about our lives, and that tension, that conflict is between the desire to belong And the need to be an individual. Right? The desire to be part of something, to belong, to be cared for, to care for others, to love, to to have relationship, whether it be in a family, at a workplace, in a church, to be part of a city, to be part of a country, to belong, to have an identity tied to other people that share that identity. And that can sometimes be in conflict and often is in conflict with Our culture that teaches you being an individual is one of the highest values that there is. Like, don't let other people influence you. I mean, I remember being six years old, maybe, first grade, the D.A.R.E. program, starting to talk about peer pressure, don't let people tell you what to do. Do you guys have D.A.R.E., right, drug education? I don't even remember that. But it's just say no, right, like... Peer pressure, like people are going to make you do things you don't want to do if you hang out with the wrong crowd or you're part of a group. And that seems like it's escalated over the past several, well, decades. Um, This idea of individualism, like you can be who you truly are if you get away from the crowd. Like the worst thing you can be is a follower in the crowd. And the crowd's going to make you and it's going to prevent you from becoming who you really should be. And so there's this tension, we, we value belonging, we value connection, we value relationship, we value a shared identity, being part of something, but we also value our own identity, value our independence. And I will tell you that there will be times today where, like, I'll use the word independence or whatever, when I planned out this sermon series, I hadn't lined it up on the calendar yet, so it's not like I'm preaching a 4th of July thing, so any connections are purely coincidence or Holy Spirit. I don't know. You apply it how you want. But, but there's this tension, right? In, in, in families, I, I've experienced this, right? Like I wake up in the morning, I have my to-do list, and then their kids have their to-do list, right? And or not a to-do list. And, and, and the, the question is, is my individual desires going to win out? Or are the needs of the people that I'm connected with, are their desires going to win out? And this shows up in, like I said, in marriages. This can be tension. You know, you have an agenda, your spouse has an agenda. Who's going to win? And you can see how quickly that, that need to be an individual turns into a, a matter of 
well, who's in charge? Who has control? Who has power? Who gets the final say? And so it's more than just a, a conflict, a tension. It, it's a powerful dynamic that's present in our relationships. People say things like that, I've lost myself in this. Or I don't know who I am. I've lost myself in the crowd. But then on the flip side, there's people that say, I'm so isolated and alone. I can't be myself in order to connect with this crowd or nobody knows the real me. This tension in our society is everywhere. Belonging to a group and being an individual. We're going to look at that today and and we're just going to look at a few uh, short verses in the book of Acts and a very short story about the Apostle Paul. But keep that dynamic, this individual versus belonging to a group uh, dynamic in your mind as we um, look at this story. Like I said, it's very short, just a few short verses. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, um, verses 1 through 3, just three verses. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the words you provide for us today. While this story is just a quick snippet in the life of the early church, we believe that you will speak to us through it. May your spirit have free reign in our hearts and in our minds today. May your, uh, the presence that you have here today be a formative one. While it's good to learn, we also want to be shaped into your people. We thank you and love you. Amen. Amen. So like I said, this is a, a really short story. There's not a whole lot of meat and potatoes to this. There's not a whole lot to dissect. There's not a lot to jump into. It's a really short story. But it's one of the most significant moments in church history. Right, um, These three verses contain the calling, the setting apart, the ordination of Saul, who is also Paul. So Saul, if you've been following along with this sermon series or just know the book of Acts, like he's been popping in and out of our scripture texts every few weeks. Right, like He showed up at the stoning of Stephen. And he kind of, we jump back to Peter for a little while and then back to Saul and he has an encounter with Jesus on the road and scales on his eyes and all that. And then we jump back to Peter and Saul, Peter. But from here on out in the book of Acts, we primarily follow Paul. And it's, it's primarily not just, well, what's going on in Paul's life, but how does Paul end up taking the gospel into the emperor of Rome's backyard. Like, how does this gospel story, this peasant Nazareth villager guy named Jesus, how does his story and a group of people that called him king, how does that end up right under the nose of the emperor in Rome? And that's what the rest of the book of Acts shows us. Now, this scripture that we read a moment ago is often used in ordination services, 
uh, for pastors and ministers as they kind of move through their preparation to become ministers or reach a certain point. We talk about setting apart people for the work of ministry. This idea of being set apart for the mission of God, being set apart to be used by God for God's purposes, is celebrated. It's a unique calling, right? It's a special moment. And so Saul, if you remember, like I said a moment ago, where he started in this story, he was a witness to the stoning of Stephen. And then he got permission from religious rulers to go and arrest Christians, to persecute them. And so this Saul, who, who was a persecutor of Christians, not only becomes a Christian, which is a huge shift, if you think about it, not only becomes a Christian, but he becomes a Christian who is acknowledged by other Christians within the church as having a special role and mission for the purpose of God. The Damascus Road experience led to this dramatic life transformation for Saul slash Paul. And in the scripture, we see that the, the church is gathered together, some leaders of the church, some preachers, some teachers, some prophets, right, gathered, and they're fasting and worshiping together. The church is gathered. The prophets, these teachers, they're fasting, they're praying. And Saul and Barnabas become recipients of that prayer as they are commissioned to go into the world on mission. And so for the rest of the book of Acts, like I said a moment ago, the focus is what happens to Saul after being commissioned and the role he plays in taking the church to the ends of the earth, as they said. How does the first church, how do these earliest Christians take uh, the command of Jesus? How are they faithful to this command of Jesus to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, of all people, right? When you read the word nations in your Bible, it's easy for us to think in terms of countries, but think in terms of people groups, right? So it's not like go plant a flag in this other country, but it's like go take the, take the gospel, take the good news of Jesus to these people. The very last thing, the very last commandment that, that Jesus tells his disciples in the gospel of Matthew, go, Make disciples. Declare the gospel in all nations, right? Jesus tells his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. You turn the page out of the gospels into Acts chapter 1, and we have Jesus telling his disciples again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the last thing that Jesus tells his followers is that they're going to be sent out of Jerusalem with this grand mission. Right? That these people that had followed him around the dusty roads of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, and then Jerusalem, are going to go out into the world with this grand mission of teaching the kingdom of God, taking the kingdom of God to the other kingdoms of the world. What an awesome and amazing mission Jesus has given his followers. He's entrusted the church with this awesome responsibility. And, and as it's such a big deal, he reminds them, he says, where you go, I will go with you. Fear not, right? Don't be afraid, I will go with you. I will be with you always. And so if you go back to the second week in this sermon series, 
The week after Pentecost, Peter had a big sermon, right? Um, in, in the scripture timeline, it was actually the Sunday of Pentecost. It was later in the day. But, so Peter has this big sermon, and 3,000 people come, uh, it says, are being saved. And the sermon was about to be saved out of this wicked generation, to repent, to turn around, to leave this corrupt and evil generation behind. Do you remember where that story happened? Where was the location of that story? Anybody know? Jerusalem. Right? So Jesus had just told them, go into the world. I'm going to give you power to go and teach the gospel to all the world. And we start out in Jerusalem. But of course we have to start there, right? The, the, the Jews needed to hear. That's where they were. The story, of course, starts in Jerusalem. So as we turn from chapter 2 to chapter 3, you might expect to see some movement outside of Jerusalem, right? They heard this message from Jesus. He's given the Holy Spirit. He's told them he's going to go with them. They're excited. They're bold. They're ready to go. You know, Jesus has given this huge pep talk, and they're going to run right out the, the locker room doors and take on the world. But in chapter 3, they're still in Jerusalem. If you turn over to Acts chapter 4, they're still in Jerusalem. You flip over to Acts chapter 5, or maybe chapter 6, maybe chapter 7. We're on that mission now. We're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? Like Jesus said. Nope, still in Jerusalem. <laughs> so at this point, if you're reading the book of Acts as a story, you're going, when are we going to get this mission started? What are we, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> Let's do it. I, I, I think of a meme, and some of you... People probably don't think in terms of memes. I think in terms of memes. And there's one with this like terribly drawn cartoon character poking something with a stick that says, do something. Like That's what I see happening in, in the book of Acts right now with the disciples. Like, go. Let's go already. You've got the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's going to go with you. Ends of the earth, right? That's our, that's our target. So maybe in chapters 8 or 9... Maybe in 10 we leave Jerusalem. At some point we have to leave Jerusalem, right? Come on, this book is about the mission. <laughs> Going to the ends of the world. This is answering the question of how the gospel of Jesus gets to Rome and to the ends of the earth and to all the nations. The gospels end with Jesus saying, go. The book of Acts begins with Jesus saying, go. Now we're 10 chapters in and we haven't left Jerusalem yet. And there was business to be done. This isn't a critique, but following the story, you've got to be wondering, at what point are we going to go on this mission? Chapters 11, still in Jerusalem. 12, still in Jerusalem. It's right here in the scripture that we read this morning, chapter 13, that everything shifts. That those three verses that we read, that setting apart of Paul and Barnabas, that everything shifts. Paul and Barnabas are commissioned for that mission. The church prays for them and sends them out. Paul goes out with the work of others and starts churches all over the place, right? Like we know Paul, his missionary journeys, all the letters in the New Testament that he wrote to the churches that he started. Things have really kicked off, right? We've, we've reached that point. Paul heard the message and he's out and he's going and doing the thing. It only took 13 chapters for Paul to get this party started. But it's happening now. Right? 
So you might be imagining Paul, this heroic, this brave, this lone wolf, this cowboy out there, man against the world, against the odds, on his mission, and no one was going to stand in his way. That might sound great, but before we start making this into a Hollywood movie about a superhero named Paul, we need to realize a few things about Paul and his mission. Paul didn't come up with this mission on his own. This wasn't Paul's mission. Paul wasn't equipped for this mission on his own. He didn't even hear the call to this mission on his own. And he certainly didn't go on this mission alone. The three verses we read earlier tell us something very important about how this actually came to be. Just directly prior, right prior to Paul and Barnabas being sent out. Like, before they got commissioned, what were they doing? What was happening? They were gathered with leaders and others in the church. They were worshiping, praying, fasting. They weren't living in some isolated place, just Paul and God, just Barnabas and God. They were participating in the life of a church. They were part of a worshiping community of faith. They were fasting. They were seeking God. These were communal activities of the early church. This wasn't something that they went out to go seek to do. This was their regular practice in their church. And this was done as the church. It was done as a community gathered together. And it was while the, the, those who were gathered were fasting and worshiping that they heard this call to set apart Paul and Barnabas. But who heard the call? Right? If you flip back over to Acts 13 or you just replay it in your head, it says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. Well, obviously, God is speaking to someone other than Paul and Barnabas as well. I mean, it can include Paul and Barnabas, but it'd be weird for God to you know, talk directly to Paul and say, hey, you know, set apart Paul. Well, I am Paul, right? Like, it would be weird. He's talking to the gathered community, to the leaders there. Paul couldn't set himself apart. Barnabas couldn't set himself apart. The church set apart Paul and Barnabas. It came to the teachers and to the prophets. Now, this might seem odd. It did to me when I first started wrestling with this text. A little bit odd that the message didn't go to Paul and Barnabas to go on the mission. Right? Wouldn't God just tell Paul or wouldn't he just tell Barnabas, hey, here's what I want you to do, go do it. Like, why does it involve other people? Isn't this about Paul's life? God's will for Paul's life? God's will for Barnabas' life? Why does other people have to be involved? Why would anyone else have any say or any input on what God and God's calling on my life is? Right? Why would he tell the church? But the early church understood something that we struggle in our individualistic culture. To, they understood something that we struggle to understand. Our culture tells us that we can either be part of the crowd and belong and be a part of, or we can be our true self, an individual, apart from the crowd. But if we, if we end up in the crowd, we're going to lose our sense of identity. We're going to lose our sense of purpose. We're going to lose our sense of calling because we're just going to be one in the crowd. And so the goal is to get over here and be an individual, (laughs) to live your own life, 
to be a part so you're not pulled along, influenced by the crowd. But the early church understood that whole dynamic differently. We're going to have something on the screen here. This is what I want you to hear today. The early church knew this, that you had to be a part of the body of Christ so that you could be set apart for God's work. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't either be a part of the church or be set apart for God's work, but it was be a part of this body so that you can understand God's call on your life. Be a part, deeply rooted, deeply connected, so that you can be on mission. They knew that there was no such thing as rogue missionaries. The early church knew that there was no such thing as lone wolf Christians. God's calling, God's spirit, the gifts that he gives us, the encouragement, the forgiveness, the love, the discipleship, the grace, the blessing, all of it showed up in and through the community of believers. The idea that I could go read my Bible, I could listen to a sermon online or watch on TV, the idea that it was just me and God would have been foreign to these early Christians. They would have been unrecognizable to them. They would have asked us, how do you even claim to know God apart from the gathered body of Christ? How do you know God apart from the gathered community called the church? And Paul himself, as we read through the scriptures that he wrote, the letters that he wrote, he would tell us that it was not his mission that he was on. He didn't find his true calling. It was the calling that all of us have been called to, and he's just walking his part. This was God's mission. And it was while participating in the life and practices of the church that Paul was called to this mission. He was simply trying to be faithful to that which God calls all of us. In Paul's letters, there's parts of them that oftentimes we skip over because they're not like the, the meaty parts. You know, the first chapter, the introduction, the last little bit where he lists off people's names. I commend to you, my brother, my sister, I greet you in the name of so-and-so, receive so-and-so, this. And he talks about the people he's doing ministry with. Those were significant inclusions in there. This wasn't Paul as a lone wolf doing things. He was doing ministry with a lot of people. He was connected to the church with deep roots. The activity of the church is the foundation of the mission. So the invitation of this early church as it spread its reach throughout the Roman Empire was this. This, I mean, this was the invitation that the message of the early church. Be a part of the body so you can be set apart for the work of God. Be the church so that you can be for Battle Creek. Be on part of something. Be a part of this body. Being set apart does not mean being isolated or alone. It doesn't mean being closed off, being separated from the community of faith. It means submitting to the community of faith, being vulnerable to it. It means letting that community of faith shape you, reveal your gifts, affirm your callings, correct your errors, all in the name of being on mission. For example, (laughs) I didn't get to wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a pastor. In fact, I I was probably the last one to realize that that calling was in my life. (laughs) 
I mean, I had a, a moment when I was working at a church camp where a stranger saw me off in the distance. Like, my job was to start the campfire, and I was just hanging out to make sure the campfire was going. I was standing off in the shadows in the trees, and a pastor that was the camp pastor for the week said, that guy over there, God's going to do something with his life. And I was like looking around. Like, he didn't know me, and I didn't know if he had talked to somebody or, or if he was just messing with me or if it was just a dramatic effect or whatever. But people at my church, my, my youth groups, you're going to be past. No, I, not really. No, thank you. Um, I have other plans, other agendas. But when I did feel that call, it wasn't like I said, okay, now I'm a pastor. There was education. There was meetings with church leaders, with other people in the church that had to kind of test that calling, help me understand it, right? There's a whole process. We have uh, two members of our church that are going through a district licensing to ordination process right now. Hannah and, and Tabitha are, are under the responsibility of our district, the Church of the Nazarene's district, as they move towards this setting apart. You don't just get to decide one day. It's, it's an affirmation. And ordination isn't a graduation. It's, it's an affirmation of calling. It's the body saying, yes, we see these gifts in you. You don't get to wake up one day and say, aha. But being called in the church isn't a free pass to the top, which, man, sometimes church folk, we get this wrong. We think standing on the pulpit or having a microphone or having a title in front of your name means there's perks. <laughs> means you're in charge, you have all the authority, you get the best parking spots, you get to go first at the potlucks, right? Like, right? Like, there's... But being called into, in the church isn't a pass to the top or the front of the line. It's a journey of learning to submit everything to the church. Ultimately, surrendering everything to God. It's not about status, authority, attention, privilege. It's surrendering, surrendering all areas of your life to the mission of God. Well, you may be wondering, like, what does that look like? For me, there's a lot of different ways, and I'm an overthinker, so it happens. But, like, my vehicle is out by the bus right now. <laughs> People ask me when I started parking over there, you're trying to hide from us? No, I wasn't trying to hide behind the bus. I was just trying to leave parking for other people that might need a shorter walk, so I park a little farther away. My parking, I'm trying to surrender my parking habits <laughs> to the kingdom of God. Right? This is how my mind works. It's because I'm a part of a congregation, it's because I'm a part of the church that I understand my behavior. Be a part of the body so that you can be set apart for God's work. Have you ever wrestled with the question, what's God's will for my life? What's God calling me to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? What's my purpose? What's my mission? Have you ever wrestled with this question? Or maybe you've, you've, you've gotten to the point where you feel like you know what your mission is, but it seems so big, it seems so overwhelming. It's just too big for you to do alone. I don't have the resources, the strength, the know-how to do this by myself. Whatever it might be that makes you think you're inadequate to do the thing that God has called you to do. If you've ever had either of those thoughts, wondering what your mission and purpose was, or wondering how you're ever going to accomplish 
what God is calling you to do, I want you to know that today's message should be, if I'm doing it right, should be good news. It's good news because whatever you understand your mission, your purpose, your gifting, your calling to be, the message today is that you don't have to choose between belonging to a community of believers and doing it on your, on your own to fulfill that life, calling, that purpose. It's not a matter of figuring out what you're supposed to do and doing it all by yourself. It's not a choice between being part of something, belonging to something, and being the individual that you're supposed to be, finding your true authentic self or whatever um, the, the verbiage is that we use. The story of Paul today teaches us that it's exactly as we worship together. It's exactly as we pray together. It's exactly as we live life together as the body of Christ that we actually begin to see what God is calling us to do and to be. It's when we try to move ourselves outside of the church that we struggle. It's when we say, well, God's calling me to something. I need to to drift off over here to find some space and some time to figure out what God's up to in my life. And I'm going to unplug and disconnect for a little while from the body. It's when we try to move outside of that fellowship that we see our inability to do the very things we feel most called to do. When our mission falls in line with God's mission, that happens when our sense of purpose is brought in line with God's purpose for us. And when that happens, we finally begin to understand what God is doing in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our town, in our world. The invitation today is to be a part of the body so that you can be set apart for God's work. The more fully that you lean in and embrace the truth that God has first called you to participate in communion with one another. That the God's primary calling on your life, the, the primary purpose for your life, the first invitation that God is inviting you to, to answer to is not to go off and do something as a lone wolf or as a cowboy, but the first invitation that you should hear from God is one to join and belong be a part of. And as you align your life into the practices and the habits of the gathered community, you will start to understand, oh, this is what God has gifted me with. Ooh, that thing over there, I think I'm passionate about that. I'm going to go talk to some other people to see if I can get involved with that. Ooh, I feel a sense of calling over here because I, I, I did a little bit and that seems to click. That seems to be, I hear God calling me that direction. It's as our lives function together that we understand who we are as an individual. The more fully that you lean in and embrace the truth that God has first called you to participate in the community of the local church, the more clear your sense of mission and purpose will be. Nothing that God calls us to is intended to move us into a position of isolation. What we do as a church, we do together. Nothing in the life of the church is intended to be a solo mission. Nothing in the life of the church is meant to be, well, you're off on your own, good luck with that. And so today, we're being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to participate in communion. Um, And the meaning behind this is so powerful and so multi-layered 
It's the 4th of July today, and so after service, many of you will go out and, and have, like, real feasts. <laughs> Hamburgers, hot dogs, cookouts, all kinds of stuff with family. You're going to gather and, and celebrate your identity as a citizen or as a member of America. Right? You're going to celebrate what it means to be in that group by having a feast. <laughs> and it's good to be living in America. There's a lot of things that we receive because we, we are citizens and we live in this specific place. But communion today is to remind us of an even greater belonging, an even greater kingdom, an even greater identity that we share. We're going to sit around a table, symbolically, metaphorically, spiritually, and feast with Christians around the world. That we belong to them and they belong to us. We're going to celebrate a global feast.